Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. Okay, 1 Corinthians chapter 1. That's what we're jumping into. Um, it's not really an epistle that's about uh, like, like John, the, the book of John. We're talking about the deity. We're, we're making ground... Uh, a ground foundation of what the what that Bible is for, and it's to show us who Christ is. It's to show us that He's the Son of God. It's to show us what He came for, and it's with proof and evidence by witnesses and and so on. But that's what that epistle's for, so we can be, so we can, so we can know what it was, who God is, and what we can believe in. This epistle, however, this is more written to the church. This was written to the church of Corinth, uh, a place that I would say, if it was modern day, would it's like uh, your Vegas. Your New York, your California, your Texas. Um, we're not just because we live in Texas doesn't, doesn't mean we're excluded. There's there were faults, there was issues, there was division, there was things that the church in Corinth was dealing with. And this epistle here was written by Paul after he had already established that church to address some of the issues that were going on. And those issues that we're going to jump into tonight, those are the things that we're going to look at. And what I'm asking and what I'm saying and what it started with me in my own heart when I was reading this epistle and this um, this word of God was how much of this affects me? How much of this do I feel? How much of this do I know? How much of this do I see? How much of this do I play a factor in? And when reading it, when I would hear when I, when you would read the Corinth, the Corinthians or whatever, I would put myself in that position. I would put my name in that position. Is this me? You know, because the whole soul and the whole purpose of reading the word of God and and being taught, you know, verse by verse is so that we can be edified, so that we can be that much more stronger, that much more smarter, that much more solid in the foundation, in the word of God that God inspired for us. We don't want to read it and say, man, that church over there had some issues. We want to read it and say, do any of those issues, are they in my heart? Are they in my church? Are they in, in the churches around me? Are they in my city? Are these things that I see? Are these things that I do? Are these things that, that's happening now? And that's what, that's what we want to look at. That's, and that's my, my challenge to you, I guess, if you will, that as we jump into this first chapter, that we look at it in that fashion, that we see it that way, because we want to get closer to God. We want to have a, a more understanding of what the church um, should look like. I mean, I know in the book of Revelation, we have model churches. We have the Church of Philadelphia. That's the model church. That's what we are supposed to be like. That is the one that, that, that God is a, very approving of. That's the model church, the Church of Philadelphia. The one with all faith, the one that believes, the one that never um, left his commandments, the one that continues in that the way he wanted it, the way it instilled. And that's the church that we want to be modeled after. But with that, with that being said, for that to come to pass, for that to be possible, we have to see and we have to be taught about faults. We have to see what issues we deal with. We have to know the things that maybe we might be lacking or whatever it is. We have to want to be edified. We have to want to grow closer. We have to want to be that much more stronger in the word of God. We don't want to just simply say, I'm, gonna, I'm saved. I go to church. I whatever. We want to go closer. We want to. Our knowledge to grow with the heart of saying this is to get closer to God, not so that I can know more words, not that I can memorize more scripture. This is so that my heart is softened, so that my life is edified, so that I'm that living witness for Christ. That's the whole point of jumping into 
the word of God. And that's what we do it for. This epistle here was written to that church again with issues and issues that needed to be addressed. And Paul the Apostle was doing that. Real quick, um, I read this and I liked it. It was from uh, Pastor Chuck Smith. It was something that he wrote um, to somewhat, I guess, to sum up the Corinthian church in the epistle. And it reads like this. Some of the most helpful scriptures are those that were written in response to errors or questions. And the book of First Corinthians gives us useful information and instruction as Paul corrects their errors by laying out the truth in a straightforward and practical way. When we read the book today, we can't help but see the similarities between the church in Corinth and the modern day church. As they were ridden with moral problems, false doctrine and division. So today, these same issues threaten our effectiveness of the church. This is a practical, relevant book that calls us to be pure faith and walk in love. Again, the church in Corinth. This, for this, to give you a, a bit of a background, this, this epistle, I, I, I think, was pretty much started in the book of Acts. That was written by Luke's in about chapter 18. It starts talking about Sosthenes. It starts talking about Paul and when he was in the Corinth and the things that he was dealing with and what he was what he was starting there. Um, Sosthenes, real quick, before we get into uh, the first verse, he was a, a Jewish leader in the J- Jewish synagogue there in Corinth. And um, he was he was against what Paul was teaching because Paul was teaching Christ. He was teaching uh, the resurrection and Salvation by faith. And obviously that goes against the, the Jewish laws and what they taught. And that's who Sosthenes was. And chapter 18, again, I would encourage you to, to look that up later when you have the opportunity because it has some more things that goes in there. And it explains a lot better than I do. But this is just real quick so you can know what's going on. Because this epistle is written up. It's, it starts very interesting. Very, very interesting. And we're going to pick it up in verse 1 now. Paul called to be an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and Sosthenes, our brother. Now, real quick, you can see that to be is in italic. That's because that wasn't in the original translation. So what it would read would have been Paul called an apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God, and Sosthenes' brother. When you see it in italic, it's because it was for translation purposes that that was added. A little bit more understanding for us. And we're going to jump into another, a couple of other words, too, that we're going to have to get a good understanding of because in our English language, it just doesn't do it justice. But starting now. So this was Paul and he's addressing it because in the church, in the current church, there was with the divisions, they were starting to question Paul's uh, apostleship. Was he really called by God? Did he really was he really the one that's supposed to be teaching this? And is he writing what he's teaching? So right now he's addressing it real quick. I'm called to be apostle. Apostle of Jesus Christ through the will of God. So he's already laying it now. He's letting you know. This is I'm this what I'm doing now is by the will of God, not by choice, not by my own doing. I am not doing this for myself to boast. I'm not doing this for any other reason but for the will of God, who called him an apostle to apostleship for the division that we'll see a little bit later. And I like the part of Sosthenes, our brother. I, I like that that that's in there. Because you can look at Sosthenes as for me myself once wasn't a believer, once was lost, once didn't have that foundation, that knowledge of grace in the word of God and, and salvation by faith. But you can see that this was a Jewish man that was changed. 
a Jewish man that was changed. There's a lot of evidence to show this is the same Sosthenes. And so we lean that way. There's a lot of theologians that lean that way. And in the study of this, it just makes sense to me that this is the right one. He's the one that was against Paul and the book of Acts. But to see a changed man now, and this man was known in Corinth. So when he uses him in this epistle is to say, look, y'all know me, y'all know Sosthenes, y'all see the change. This is a new life. This is this is who we've been called by God and by that blood and and the blood of, of Christ that has saved us by salvation. So he's addressing him now, who he is, who he's called by, who he's with. Moving into verse two, it says to the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus called to be saints with all who in every place call on the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Lord, both theirs and ours. And this phrase called to be saints. This is who we are called to be. Tonight's message, I labeled it the church of Lubbock. Just like the church of Corinth. What at times we see when talking about what church you go to, what church you're from, what church you, you, you came from, whatever the case is, there's a separation, there's a division, there's differences. And that's an issue that was being dealt with that's going to be dealt with now. But I like it here because he says the phrase saints to the church of the Corinth, to those that are sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints, called saints. Again, to be is an italic, meaning what? That wasn't in the original, the original um, writing. It was in there for translation purposes. So called saints, referring to me, you, and all of us here. Everybody that's a part of the body is called a saint. What does saints mean? All Christians are called saints. Not just those that are uh, like specially devout like Paul. It's all of us. You don't, not a pastor only, not a minister, not, you know, the Everybody that is a bod- that's part of the body of Christ, that believes by faith in Jesus Christ and is called by Lord, is a saint. That is what he's saying right now. Called saints with all who in every place on the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. He doesn't say just in here in Corinth or there in, in Rome or there in Ephesus or there in, you know, in Jews. He's saying all of them, all of us, we're all called saints. Now, because we are called upon the name of Jesus, just like the church of Corinth was, we're no different. We're no different. And I would say, you know, even personally that I would, I know and can, can relate to some of the issues that were going on here because we've seen them, especially here in Lubbock. I mean, how many different churches do we have? There's so many different churches, so many denominations that are different, Methodists, Presbyterians, uh, Lutherans. Whatever it is, and it's all separation and devised by different things that they believe on. But what Paul is addressing here when he says both theirs and ours, every place, every place that calls on the name of Jesus Christ, there should be no difference. There should be any no, no difference. Now, there's 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 things in doctrine that that obviously would separate us, but there's things that are not worth even arguing the fact over because we can as you hear a lot of pastors say that we can agree to disagree about certain things, but the deity, certain factors that are really major, 
Those are things that are, that, that are supposed to be without compromise. Those are things that are supposed to be um, without change when it directly goes against the word of God. But here Paul is addressing every saint, everyone. So this applies to us. This doesn't apply to just to the Corinth or just to Calvary Chapel, Lubbock or, you know, Trinity or, on, or any other church. It's every person that is called to be a saint by faith in Jesus Christ. This is all of us. So that's why I would say it in the beginning that when we read this and we look at it, we should say for ourselves, this is me. This is to me. Do I see any of these? Have I heard of any of these? Do I play a factor in any of this? Because, again, the so hard to get closer to Christ is to be more Christ-like. That's what we're called to be. And the word saints here means to be sanctified, to be set apart. We are no longer the same as the world. This, this epistle also is, again, written to the church, written to us, written to the believer, written to the saints. So this would be hard time for someone that is not saved, that doesn't have the foundation for this to be written to them because they're not believers. The gospel doesn't affect them as it does us. That's something else that we'll address as we continue on into this epistle. But in every place, call on the name Jesus Christ, our Lord, both theirs and ours. Verse 3, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, this, this also here, we got Greeks and we got Jews that were here in the Corinth. So he's hitting them both. And I like it. I like it. I like it that Paul says he uses the, the intro for both of those, for both Greek and, and Jew. As we learned a couple of Sundays ago with Pastor Soph that peace in, in, in the Jewish is, is shalom. Or in Hebrew, I'm sorry, it's shalom. But let's look at the order of this that Paul puts it in. He says, grace to you, peace from God, our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. As I touched on a little while ago about this being a hard epistle to be understood by someone who wasn't a believer. Being why? Grace. Grace that was given to us. Grace that we have been blessed by. This is grace by God, the blood of Jesus Christ. This is our our. What what runs us, what saves us, what purifies us, what cleanses, what makes us lovable and strong and loving is the grace that God has showed to us. Then after the fact, we can have this peace from God. The shalom. Our, from our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. So all the saints that have tasted grace, that know peace and the peace of, of God in our lives, this is who this is to. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God, which was given to you by Christ Jesus. Real quick in verse four, we're going to look at so many times in the beginning of this first chapter, Jesus Christ. Paul is stressing the point, Jesus Christ, Jesus Christ. The whole body, all in one, that is here together because of grace and the peace of God. This makes up this body. This is all of us here. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God, which was given to you by Christ Jesus. This is only done by Christ and no one else or nothing else. Verse five. That you were. That you were enriched in everything by him and all utterance and all knowledge. Even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. Verse 5 and verse 6, enriched, comes from the Greek word plutocrat. It means lavishly wealthy. Lavishly wealthy. When you hear, when I hear that phrase, lavishly wealthy, I think of 
Rolls Royces. I think of Audis. I think of mansions. I think of a bank account that is overflowing. I think of, I don't know if any of you are going to be able to relate to me, but all the videos that you see of, of, of Floyd Mayweather, I don't know if you know who that guy is or not, but uh, this guy is always flashing money. He's always flashing cars. He's always flashing houses. He's got box and box and stacks and stacks of money. I told Laura one time, I think those are dollars. I don't think that those are 50s or 100s. I think he's playing around a little bit too much. But still, when you think lavishly wealthy, plutocrat from the Greek word, lavishly wealthy, those are the things that you see. Now, in relation to what worldly lavish, what wealth is worldly, let's look at it in standards of spiritually. Lavishly wealthy in the spirit. There is nothing on this earth that is going to even compare to the glimpse that our eyes see when the one day that we meet our maker, we touch that heaven. Nothing. Nothing. But we can label it here. We can put a a name to a face. We can put an object to the term. We can put... We can, we can visualize and see what it is here on earth. Think how wealthy it will be that we can't even do that for the heavens. That we can't do that when we graduate. The thought of being next to Christ in heaven is wealth. It's, the wealth of it is not even comparable to what we can see on earth. And it's not because we haven't seen it. It's because we know the perfection of Christ. We know where it came from. We know what it is. Again, who was the epistle written to? The believer. The believer. The church of God. The church of Christ. That was saved by Christ. Not saved by man. We can't put that. This is, it, it's, it's a wealthiness that is more wealthier than anything that we can ever imagine here on earth. So that you come short. Verse 6. Even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. Their lives were confirmation of the truth of gospel. Right out. He's the encouragement that is given to the church. He's letting them know why they were saved. Reminding them of what was going of of where they came from. How it happened. How it came to pass. And then with an encouragement. Because you know if you come encouraging. If you're a parent. If you're an older brother. Whatever. You're a manager at work. You know, with encouragement right after, there's going to come some direction or something is about to come and something needs to be addressed. That's the whole point of the encouraging in the beginning. So I like it. I like it. You know, the model was already set on how to parent. Give them something nice before you give them something bad. So we'll take it like that. Again, in verse seven, so that you come short. I'm sorry. In verse six, it says, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, this is the changed life. Again, looking back at Sosthenes, who they knew he was before, and now they see who he is now. Alongside Paul, when, the, when he was against Paul. In Acts, he wanted to, he, he took him in front of the magistrate. He wanted him to be punished. He wanted him to go to trial for what Paul was doing, preaching the gospel of Christ. And now, a brother with him. What does that say? The testimony that only God can make in a changed life. That only can come from the grace of God. By the realization of what it costs us to be saved, to be reconciled back to the Father. It is a change that's in your heart. It's a change that's in your mind. It's a change that's in your life. Again, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you, for every one of our believers, for every one of us believers, the change that's in our life that the world sees, Christ is being confirmed. Again, we can't see, the world can't see or even try to imagine what the Word of God is trying to be taught to them right now today, but they see something different in us. 
They see something that's being confirmed in our lives on a regular basis through trial, through tribulation, through good time, through bad time. No matter what it is, they can see that life. They can see that work. They can see that love. And he was telling them they didn't fall short in that. Verse 7, so that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. There was an abundant use of spiritual gifts in the church, in the Corinthian church. Christ wants us to live in, anticipate, in, in anticipation that he may come at any time. I believe that the gifts were possible because of the lack of knowledge. Now you say, what do you mean because of the lack of knowledge? Well, right now we know as we, as we continue on what the epistle was written for. We've, we know that now. We already know what, it, what it's leading to. And there was issues. There was divisions. But it also says that they didn't fall short in any spiritual gifts. And you say, how is that possible? How can they be lacking? How can they be falling short? I believe it was a lack of knowledge. It was a lack of, 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 of knowing. But again, God did everything with reason and for purpose. And this epistle right now, I would thank Paul that he had to write it. I thank the Corinthian church that they had issues so that we can benefit from this, that we can learn from it. This was not just written again to the church of Corinth. This is written to us today. And it's very applicable in our lives and in our church today, in all churches. We're not going to leave it tomorrow and come back when pastor comes back and say, Santo said our church needed a lot of help. That's not what I'm saying. But we do because we're flawed. Individually, we do need some. Amen. So that you come short of no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will also confirm you to the end that you may be blameless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. He will complete his work in us. That will be the blameless. What he has started in our lives and what he has started in his church he will complete. That is what makes us blameless when we are presented to God. The day of Jesus is the day of his coming. What Revelation talks about, Thessalonians talks about, <laughs> I'm about to, um, that is the day of Jesus when he comes back, when he comes back for the church, when he comes back for his bride. He will hold us blameless. Being held blameless, but you, you, at times I know that we can think to ourselves, how is this possible? How am I going to go without being blamed? I can't be blameless. Only Christ was able to. What is our part in that? What is our part in that? Well, one would look at that we're called saints, washed, renewed, brand new, walking again and walking in light, no more in dark. So when it says that we're held blameless, it's for a heart that doesn't want to sin. It's for a heart that belongs to Christ. It's for someone that is sanctified now, set apart, that is living with a regular, if you make a, if you're flawed and you make a mistake, there's repentance. If you're flawed and you make a mistake and, and it's a true repentance, then, then you're forgiven for that. And you go on and learn from those things. Our part in that is that we trust the Lord in his strength and what we do, but we do it with the want and a heart for love and love for Christ because we know what it costs him that we could be reconciled back to, the, back to the Father. It was a very, very expensive price. And so that's how we stay blameless, because he knows that we're going to mess up, but it comes with repentance, it comes with faith in Christ and trust in the Lord, with love and grace in our heart being filled by Christ as we strengthen our relationship, as we allow these epistles, these epistles to, to edify us and strengthen us. This is what the purpose of them are, what, this is what the purpose of this epistle is for. So that we can be edified, so that things can be addressed, so that we can be made aware 
of faults or, or issues that we have in our life so that we can continue that much more. Verse 9, God is faithful by whom we're called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Fellowship means communion. This is one of those words. Uh, koinonia is where it comes from. Koinonia in, in the original text has about four or five different explanations in the English language. It can mean oneness, communion. There's just like four or five of them. For, for us to explain that one word that is being used here, it's very, very difficult. So we've got to use like five different ones to understand that one koinonia, which in this, in this text, it's meaning fellowship or communion. It's meaning communion with Christ. And how is that possible? That we can commune with Christ by faith, salvation, by accepting Christ, by living that, that, um, that heart-filled life of, of repentance and knowing that we are trying to grow that much stronger and trusting in the Lord for all things that happen. Knowing that it's not by our will or by our doing, but it's only by the blood of Christ and the faithfulness and grace of Christ that's, that, that we are where we are now today. So God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Now I plead with you. Here it comes. Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing and that there be no divisions among you but that you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment some of the people were taking sides in disputes that had risen carnality carnality and not spiritual maturity was lacking in the church of corinth that which in turn led to division in the body of christ that in turn leads to division in in Lubbock, different denominations, different churches, things that cause division in the church are what? Maybe someone didn't like what was said. Maybe someone didn't like what's happening. Maybe they don't like a program. Maybe they don't like um, a teaching and understanding and interpretation that was given by a pastor. Maybe they think something else more than the other. For all the while forgetting about what, why they are where they are and who they're called by. Again, looking at man and and flawness and trusting that. I don't like this. I don't like that. But that stems in our own heart individually. What makes up the body? All of us, all of us that are here. All the other people that are in the different churches. Where does that begin? In an individual heart for Christ. If I sit here and I have five people, six people, and I say, I don't like this program. I don't like this, this interpretation. I don't like this worship. Whatever the case may be, that started, that seed grew in my heart and then touched someone else's or someone else it grew in theirs and we related on the same thing that caused division. Trusting in what I'm feeling or what I'm thinking should never, ever, ever supersede the word of God and what was instructed to us. Never. This is how division is caused because we like one thing but hate another. We're perfect in one way but flawed in another. And this is where it starts. I want us to, to, to know that before we leave from here tonight, know that anything that, that is not of the word of God or anything that is of, of too many emotions or feeling, it starts in our own heart. It's not so much the whole church. What makes up the whole body? Each and every one of us individually. We have to be careful of what's in our heart. We have to be careful of what we're filling ourselves with. We have to be careful with, with what we're letting out. 
If it's Christ that's being, being, that's coming in, then it should be Christ that's coming out. If it's grace and, and love that's coming in, then it should be grace and love that's coming out. Again, not to go against foundational issues of the word of God. That is something without compromise. Never, ever do we compromise the word of God. But there's things that we like or we don't like. There's things, there's, that's why we have so much division. We have to be very careful as individuals to, to check our own heart before we try to check someone else's. Because this is edifying for us. Again, in the beginning when I said, we have to look at the epistle and say, I want to be edified. I want to be that much closer to, to, to Christ. I want to be that much more dressed in white. I want to be that much more, um, that much stronger with my faith in Christ. And it comes by knowing Christ more and more. A heart check of ourselves individually, constantly. Again, when that happens, God is faithful to keep us blameless on the day of Jesus Christ. And it's not by a force, it's by faith and will and a love for Christ. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Here we go. There, here, it's come to my attention that there's division, there's issues among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Here's the division. Again, in the beginning of the epistle, Paul is addressing who he is, who he's called by, and for what reason he's doing what he's doing. And just for us, if you don't know, I am of Cephas, that is, I believe, the Greek name for Paul. Um, so they're saying that I'm of Apollos, which was... Uh, another teacher that was there in the Corinth that was that was uh, was preaching the gospel that knew about the gospel and then was later in the book of Acts, I believe, taken to the side and he was taught more about uh, the word of God. And and he uh, was used in the Lord's will to to change more. That's who that's who Apollos is. And then um, others that are saying I am of Christ. Again, we have different divisions, different denominations. There's different issues that are happening. Again, Paul addressed the fact that this is all one church. There was a, I don't know, a couple of years ago, I believe uh, uh, Sister Alice went, I don't know, to Arizona, I think. She was on a flight. And on the flight, she met somebody else, found out that she was a Christian. And I remember Josh coming over and he was telling me, he was like, Mom made a friend. Me and Pastor were like, what? She's like, Mom made a friend on the plane. And I don't know if they went to dinner or whatever, the, whatever they did. But I remember clear as day that when Josh was telling me, I said, the body of Christ is not divisible. It's, it's, it's unified no matter if you're from Arizona or you're from Lubbock. Little old Lubbock, matching brothers and sisters in Arizona. I mean, that's just how it happens. That's how we need to be when we look at one another and when we see other people outside. We don't see Trinity. We don't see uh, First Baptist. We don't see... Um, E, e life we don't see that's not what we should see church on the rock we should see a brother and sister in christ it's for god to pass judgment on who's real or not but fruits are evident in their life but when we see them and we know that they're believers regardless of their flaws or what they do we can't afford to be divi divided we cannot be we have to be that one body that one bride christ didn't god doesn't say that he's going to come back for seven different brides <laughs> No way, he's coming back for one. He's coming back for one. Verse, thir now, 
12. Now that I, now I say this, that each of you says I'm of Paul or I'm of Apollos or I'm of Cephas or I'm of Christ. And Christ is Christ divided. Was Paul crucified for you or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius. Okay, right here, let's take a look at it. He says it again. Was, were you baptized by the name, in the name of Paul? And the Father the same, what was the great commission given in the book of Matthew? Baptizing those in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. He didn't say Paul, Cephas, and Apollos. He said the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Holy Trinity is what they're being baptized in. That means there's one body. There's one body for every one of us again. And I can't stress the point more because I've, I, there's going to be times that even here in our church or even in a different church or when we go to the park or when we go to a restaurant or whatever, we see another believer and he's like, hey, I think he was Baptist. He's Baptist. I don't know. What are they teaching Baptist? He's Lutheran. What is there? What do they teach over there? That's not what we got to look at. That's not what we should see here in the church. You know, people are different walks of life that can only be unified here and brought together in this one place by the blood of Christ because we are so, so different. But when we look at each other, we shouldn't see that skin color. We shouldn't see that difference. We shouldn't see that that flaw. We should see the blood of Christ that washed them is the same that, of blood that has washed me. And we have to love one another that way. And we have to grow together in that way. And we have to continue in the great commission that God has put forth in front of us in that way. To be that church. And in a minute, we'll touch on the reason for that. Verse 14, I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius. Let anyone, least anyone should say that I baptized in my own name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel. Not, not with wisdom of words, least the, cro- the, least the cross of Christ should be made to, of no effect. That's not what I'm here for. I'm not here for division. I'm not here for all of this that you're thinking that that is part of. I'm here to preach the gospel. I'm here to preach Christ. If I take credit for any of this, then we would say that the, the cross loses credit and everything that Christ did was for nothing. This is not about us individually. This is not about us as the body. This is about Jesus Christ making him known and letting him receive the glory for what he has done in our lives. That we may affect the world with that. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. I mean, we got to. <laughs> In Romans one twenty one, Paul also wrote, because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Listen, they don't. I would destroy the wisdom of the wise and bring to nothing the understanding of the, of the prudent. In Corinth, you have to understand that there was a lot of philosophers. There was a lot of people that were smart. They had their philosophy that they had. They, 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 they cherished that and they were real big on that. I know this. And the way that they spoke was very educated. And the way that they did things was of, of noble men. And that seemed to be something that took over the, the word of God. That took over what was Paul was preaching. 
In verse 20, it says, where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block to the Greeks foolishness. All these men that are educated and that are wise and that are noble. They look at us and we tell them that Christ was crucified for him. And he says, that's foolishness. We tell the Jewish Christ was crucified for you and they find it hard to believe. Though they have the scriptures, they have uh, um, they have Isaiah, they have Psalms that tells them that was foretold. But they have other scriptures that they've taken out of context that makes them believe that he has yet to come yet. This is the issue that he's dealing with. Today, right now, even though we see people in the body of Christ, we see people in the church. The church is being conformed to what the world is telling them. Oh, this is not right. This is not right. We're gods or whatever the case is, whatever it is. Uh, apostolic, you know, the powers of the gift. There's a new movement that's coming or I guess not so new, but that are on the gifts of the spirits and is overseeing what what the word of God is truly in in what the word of God is truly saying and the message that needs to be that needs to be delivered, which is the gospel. In all their wisdom and everything that they know, they're being made their it's foolishness to them. They can't comprehend it. They can't understand it, but not because they can't, but because they start from a carnal foundation. They start from I'm going to let me read what this says before I go to church. Let me read what this says before I have my heart opens to Christ. And it's never going to be that way. It's impossible to do it that way. Preaching appears foolish to those who are wise in the world. For the educated men, for the established men, for the rich men. What we preach is foolish, is foolishness to them. Again, you have to remember that he's writing to a church that was full of scholars, educated men. Is it wrong to be educated? No. Is it a good thing? Yes, for a career. But for salvation, it's the word of God and nothing more and nothing less. That's what it's for. That's why these men that are in this way, it's hard for them to understand. It's hard for them to believe. It's hard for them to grasp. For you see your calling, brethren, that, that, that not many wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put the shame, to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty. And the base thing of the world and the things which are despised God has chosen. And the things which are not to bring to nothing things that are. That no flesh should glory in his presence. But of him you are in Christ Jesus who became for us wisdom from God and the righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That it is written, he who glorifies, let him glory in the Lord. From verse 30, 26 to the ending verse 31. That is precisely the reason that I'm able to be up here now. <laughs> no doubt. No doubt. I'm not educated. I'm not the wise. I'm not the noble. But I love Christ. And I know grace. And I know forgiveness. And I know redemption. And I know sanctification. All based off the love and the sacrifice that Christ made. This is where God says that he's using the less to confound the wise. 
This is why he does it, so that he can receive the glory and the, and the life changing that we have. Again, this is the body here, the life changing all of us. And the epistle was started, it opened up with that, that we are all called saints. That we are called by the blood of Jesus Christ. That we are not, it, a saint is not something that you earn, no matter what religion tells you that, it, that you can. You, if you have many miracles or many prayers that were answered, it doesn't matter. Or whatever you're doing, you're called to saint by faith in Jesus Christ. This should have fruit. This should be evident in our life as our walk. Again, this epistle was written to the believer, to the church. It's not like the, like, like the book of John that wants to tell the ones that don't know. This is a little different in that fashion. Our church today, we see it that is being compromised. No doubt. No doubt. Big churches. Big, big churches. I can say them by name, but it does no good because then we look at them and say, what's wrong with them? Instead, I say, pray for every big church that you know. Pray for every pastor that you see on TV. Pray for everybody that is touching the radio and say, may the Lord of will, may the will of God be done in their life because we are going to have to answer for the things that we say and the things that we do. That is not going to overpass us. That's no matter how much how dark it is, Christ sees it. No matter how far apart the next person is, God knows it. We're going to answer for the lives that we were given. And when it says that we are, we are called to be saints, there's gifts that were given to us. We have to be accountable for the gift that God has blessed us with. For the love that he has given us, we're going to be accountable for that. Are we using it? Are we doing something with it? Us individual that make up this body that's here, what are we doing with it? Have we loved someone? Have we gave an invite? Have we encouraged someone? Have we been that, that model that walks in the spirit? Because this was a lot of carnality that was going on in the, in, in the church of Corinth. And what Paul is telling them that it needs to be spiritual. It needs to be done. You need to walk in the spirit. That was the instruction. Without division, without compromise. I'm going to close with this. I could... Move into <laughs> the church of Corinth was a, a good church that didn't lack gifts in the spirit, but they lacked some knowledge. They, they needed some edifying. And Paul wrote this epistle for that reason. And that's pretty much the sum of the whole epistle. But it goes into other issues, other details that's going on, more specific that we can learn and grow from. What I'm saying today, if you, if you get nothing else from this message is this. Are we that individual model church? Because our church is not in the four walls of the building, nor the pillars that hold it up. It's us individually. It's us that, that are here tonight. It's us that continually grow, that get closer to the Lord. And then the body that is united by Christ. How do we look at our brothers and sisters? How do we look at the doctrines that are being taught? What do we think about them? Do we put them down or do we pray for them? Individually, when we feel like we're not worthy of, of, of the blood, that's a good thing. It's good that we feel that way. Because we're not. But God loved us anyways. That should make us that much stronger to be a brother and sister in the body that God is united. We are not divided. We lack in nothing. We are lavishly wealthy. Take that we be that model 
And that we continue growing and continue being edified in the word of God. That we love one another in that fashion. We don't forget where we came from or the things that we've done in our past life so that we can remember Christ crucified was the key to all. And the Father that we are now reconciled back through the Son. The Holy Spirit that guides us and reassures us and, and, and gives us what we need. That's what we're called to do. To love, to make disciples, to be that model church. We're not going to be perfect. But God knew that. I heard Cordelia say one time, or that other day, not one time. She says, did God make, did, so did God put Jesus on the cross? Yes, ma'am, he did. Yes, ma'am, he did for us so that we can be saved, so that we can love, so we can grow, so we can be that church that goes and reach other people. Let's pray. Father, we love you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for your words. We thank you for the life changing that you made in, in, in Paul, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for that road to Damascus, Father, from Saul to Paul, Father. We thank you for Sosthenes, Lord, that we can see a change, Father. We thank you for the church, Father, that lacked knowledge, Lord, that we were, that we were able to be edified tonight, Lord, because of you, through you, and by you, Father. We pray, Lord, that you continue the work, Lord. And we know because your word tells us that you are faithful to hold us blameless on the day that you come back for us, Father. May our hearts continue, Lord. I pray for your people now tonight, Father. May they continue to seek you, Lord. May their hearts continue to stay softened, Father. May we chase the spirit, Lord, and forget about the carnal, Lord. We love you, Father, and we pray that you continue the work that you started in us. For it's an honor and a privilege, Father, to love you, to serve you, Lord, and to be called your child, Father. For every brother and sister, Lord, that's in the world, Lord, I pray for them. For every church, Lord, for every person that goes to reach, that wants a service, Father, I pray that they find you and they see you, Lord. I pray the softening. I pray the work of the Holy Spirit, Father. And your will be done, Father, in this time, Lord. We love you, Lord, and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Hey, this is Pastor Josh. I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.